0: In the following live session recording, Ron Carter, worship pastor at First Baptist Church, Statesboro, Georgia, shares the session entitled, The Worship Casserole. Bringing people together for great worship is essential. Ron is a leading figure in multi-generational worship ministry. In this session, he brings his successful recipe for effective multi-generational worship. Let's join Ron now. Basically, the casserole is a lot of ingredients all mixed together. And it can be a great thing, but if you use too much of one ingredient or you use the wrong ingredient maybe at the wrong time, you know, you know, I was just thinking about something like a you know, like a shepherd's pie. Let's think of something like that, you know, got ground meat. but if you don't brown your meat and you just throw in the raw meat, I mean it yes, it's got meat in it, but it, it, the process didn't go right. And so it, it, as we think about this whole term about casserole, we've got all of these things at you know that we can use as worship leaders but if, if we can use them incorrectly, we can use too much we can use not enough we can use it at the wrong time we can put it in ahead of something at the other side and so you've got all of this what I call a conglomerate of just ideas and things and stuff that you can use. But you gotta learn how to, okay, how do we mix it so that when we finish the product, it it actually tastes good? Because all of you who are cooks know, uh, if you put too much salt in anything, you can ruin a very nice dish with just one, one, one element. And honestly, I think sometimes, as we put together worship services, if we're not careful, you have to be attentive to every piece or every part of that using the cooking illustration of how it's put together, maybe even how the separate things are prepared before you ever put them all together. And that's kind of what I want us to talk about kind of today. Um, they're basically, we're going to talk in just a minute, I'm going to give a handout because I, to, I got something for you to take notes, but as I thought about this, I thought of uh, basically four contrast. That will help us in determining and help you in your worship planning okay for instance i was thinking about some uh, some things with uh, in, in in cooking of course but but think about the difference between salt s- sweet and sour okay i mean some things are sweet and sour and that's just a contrast and they're really both good i mean i like you know lemons and I like sugar and if you put them together I really like them you know <laughs> so, I mean, so think about those kind of contrasts uh, salty and sweet now all of you like trail mix with you know something a little M&M's in it with some pretzels I mean there's just something about that mixture so, but, but yet salty and sweet are, are really contrast uh, I thought about hot and cold now I'm not really a cold coffee drinker but my wife likes cold coffee on ice. I prefer it to be hot, but it's basically the same thing, but we, you know, they're they're on really opposite extremes. Uh, I thought about having, you know, some people, and you may be one of these and that's okay, but you know, some people separate their food on a plate they want to eat each item singular. And, you know, some of us take our peas and rice and corn and mashed potatoes and whatever's in there and just mix it and eat it together. You know, so it's just, everybody's different. Okay? And that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to, you know, really exaggerate the fact that of all of these things that are out there and how different they are, um, the contrast hopefully will help us as we walk through these. But there are four contrasts that we're going to go through. I'm going to give this out. Um, Will you help me? Please. If you'll just pass those around, please. Anyway, I want to talk about Um, basically four contrasts in in worship planning for multi-generations, okay? We're going to talk about unfamiliar and familiar. Unfamiliar and familiar. We're going to talk about loud and soft. That's definite contrast to think about in, in worship planning. We're going to talk about old and new and that contrast. And then something that I try to think about and in, in, in my planning is I think about things that stretch us and things that let us rest. Okay? Now thinking of worship and, and things, but things that stretch us and things that let us rest and why. So, so again, unfamiliar and familiar, loud and soft, old and new and stretch and and release or relax or rest as I think is how I put it in this so so the first one I want to talk about is the unfamiliar okay because I get this all the time as, as a worship leader people say well I don't really like that that new song you know I just don't know those new songs and I was like well there's probably I don't know probably 300 hymns that I bet you don't know either so it doesn't have to do with hymns or new songs there's just stuff that you don't know um I met my son. I said a while ago, I have a son who's a junior at University of Georgia. He's not a musician at all, uh, but he loves music, but he's not a musician. But some of the stuff that he brings home sometimes, I'm thinking, whoa, I have never heard that. I don't know what even radio station they played that on. I mean, I, you, know, you know, it's just kind of, so it's unfamiliar. Um, and here's, here's the first blank. People are most afraid of what they don't know. Um, and and as, a, as a worship leader and a worship planner, I believe that it's very important that a lot of times people don't know how to express their fear of the unknown to you, other than saying, I don't like that. I mean, I don't know. Y'all probably, now, I may be the only one who ever gets that in my church. Okay? Uh, I don't like that. But, but sometimes I really believe that people use that term to express, "I don't know that." All right. Now, how many of you how many of you have, ch- young, have had young children at some point? Have they ever said, "Oh, I don't like green beans." But I'm like, "Well, you've never tried them. I know, but I don't know I don't like them. You know And, and so do you see it, it, we think't we, we laugh about that, but then it, it's true that people are afraid of what they don't know. Okay, the second blank. They don't have enough time to learn something. Sometimes people are unfamiliar because um we're just trying to drink out of a out of a fire hydrant sometimes with you know all the new music. I don't know if y'all know this, but the digital world that we live in now used to 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it really took basically 60 to 90 to 120 days for new songs to be introduced through what we call a process. Somebody wrote it, they kind of produce it, go through the whole idea of putting it on a CD, it might be on the radio, before ever that it came out on a CD, and then you know finally you'd get, oh, go to the Lifeway bookstore, and there's a book with this song that I've been listening to for six months, finally get the music. Well, you do know that in today's digital world, somebody could write a song this morning and send it to you in PDF print tonight, and send you an audio recording of it. So basically what used to take us 90 to 120 days, now we've shortened it to within hours somebody could write a song. I mean, it's basically true that we could take this group right here and I could teach you a new song. I could bring my computer in and play it on the piano and type it up and have the music printed. And basically I could send it home with you as a new song for the church of 2019 tonight. And you'd want to say, "We're going, "I love it, but we're going to sing this Sunday." And your people be like, "I never heard that." So we have to be careful to remember that in this digital age of music that we live, the, the turnaround of music and the, 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 the amount of music that comes across your desk or comes across your radio or your Spotify or your Apple Play, is, is an enormous amount of, of stuff. And so because of that, it makes things really hard to learn. Because I don't know if you know this, but really and truly, you. Uh, uh, let me just ask you, how many of you, uh, let me ask this, how many songs do you think seriously that one person can really know from memory to the point that they could just stand up at any time and and, and be able to say, sing. I what, what do you think a number is? I, there's, I don't have a number in mind. I'm just trying to think. I mean, you think, Do you think somebody could do 50 songs? 100? Maybe not all the stanzas yet. No, I'm not talking about portions. I'm talking about know the whole song beginning to end and just know it without a shadow of a doubt. It's something to think about because I think the, that, that number is way less than we think it is. Now, whoever said we know portions of, listen, I, uh, my pastor, John Waters, is the best at knowing a little bit of everything because I mean, if, if it comes on, he can you know but but, but just because you know one stanza or, or one part of one line doesn't mean you really know that song. you know what I'm saying? So think through this whole idea of how long does it take? Um, my dad lives in Blackshear, Georgia. Um, he worked on the railroad and was a farmer. And um, he loves music, but he's not an educated musician. He likes to say He, he, he ask him what part he sings. He says, I sing letter. And I said, what does that mean? He's like, open up letter, fly. That's what he sings, you know. <laughs> and he basically sings whatever, whoever beside him is singing. That's what my dad sings, You know, if y'all know that kind of thing. But my dad loves music. But I think about all the time, how long would it take my dad to learn a song that he literally could learn it so that he could worship from his heart and not have to think about what the next lyric was or think about what the melody went? Now I'm not listen, I have a music, I have a degree in vocal performance. I ought to be able to learn more than my dad, who's a hay farmer. But we have to remember in the, our churches, we've got these people that that are not musicians and how long does it take somebody to learn a song? I mean how many times now most of you probably are musicians, you practice every day or every week and you're thinking on it, but but generally the people in our church are not practicing singing every day. And so think about how long it, it, it takes for them to learn something. And we put stuff on the screens and not even music. Yeah and don't even give them music. Exactly. That's right, that's right. All right. We turn our brains off when we don't understand something and can't engage. Now, I'm sure that nobody else in this room is like me, but if if I'm in a lecture and I don't understand what the lecturer is talking about, I mean, I'm start looking at the paint, counting the blocks on the wall, and I mean, I can just, I mean, it's like almost like they've got so far ahead. That I don't think I can catch up, and and honestly, I I would say I think this is what happens a lot of times when we try to introduce the unfamiliar too fast, too quick. Is that our people say, you know what? I just can't learn that song, and so not only do they just they just give up, and so they just kind of they become unengaged, unfamiliar. All right, let's talk about the familiar. This is true. Now you got I got to have some amens. People sing. What they know, yes. they sing what they know. Not what's in the book. They sing what they know. The I believe one of the the big and the, and this is why I put this one first because I think this is really the major problem with most churches that I go into is that the band and the leader and the choir. Who has practiced six weeks on a song? Get up in front, and they're just into it. And the congregation's like, "Well, I don't, I don't even know this song." And then the worship are like, "Come on, y'all, sing with it." And I'm thinking, "I don't know if this. I mean, sing. I, I mean, I want to, but I don't know this." Okay, let me. I asked earlier, "How long would it take? How many songs do you know?" But let me ask you this. And 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 I believe this is not based on new music or old music, because I think I could actually do a Do a uh, uh, help us by, didn't matter, it doesn't matter. But how much, how long does it take for you to practice a song? And some of you are singing performers, maybe uh, horn players or piano, but none of us like to sight read as a performance. We like to practice. I mean, if I'm going to do a solo. I, wanna, I don't want to walk up there and somebody just open up the book on the piano and say, hey, we're glad you're here. Would you sing this for us as a solo today? But yet, how many times do we do that to the congregation? We say, I know y'all never heard this song today, but we want y'all... to Come on now, sing it with all your heart. And they're like, sing on my heart? I, it's not even in my heart. I mean, how do I? So I think this real there's a real challenge of familiar and unfamiliar. The third one, it engages them because they are able to participate i I personally believe that a congregation can really only know about fifty songs. Now I'll tell you why I believe that i I did a uh this has been about eight years ago i um some of you may have heard me talk on this. But I read a book, and I want to recommend it to you. I meant to put it on here, and I forgot. But it's called The Song Source. The Song Source. And it's basically, how does a song come into a church? Why would a song like, How Great Is Our God Be So Popular, but a song also come to church that's not as popular? What, what makes songs popular? Is it that they're singable? Is it that they had a good message? Because I know a lot of songs that have great messages that are not familiar. So what is it about songs? Let's go to the secular side. What makes a song a number one song on the, the charts? I mean, what is it? Is it a good song? Is it, a, it just clicked at that time? I mean, I don't know that I have a real idea or can give you concrete reasons, but there is something that latches on and you know, you know, uh we were laughing when I was talking about this with my friend. He said what you should do is go in there and sing Journeys Don't Stop Believing because everybody they may not know they they're they do not stop believing and everybody starts singing and singing the guitar part and all. and it's because how has that song written in the eighties, I mean they play at every Georgia Southern football game. And I meant people just stand up and act like crazy, but And it never gets old because they like it. And this book called The Song Source talks about songs like that. So anyway, in our churches, if you you have a service on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and if you're like our church, not everybody comes back on Sunday night, okay? Um, So basically, let's say that we really only have 52 times a year for people to sing if they're not in the choir. And I'm talking about congregation, okay? Not choir people, but congregation. And Now, your church is probably different than my church, but not everybody in my church comes every Sunday. Now, do, do y'all have people who attend every, I mean, faithfully weekend we got never ever miss? Probably not. So really and truly, let's say it's probably 48 Sundays. Let's give the benefit of the doubt, okay? Can a person learn a new song if, if, if the only time they sing that song is at church, one time, in your service, how many Sundays does it take them to learn it, to be able to sing it with what I call fervor, from the standpoint that they can sing something, to to be able to sing it like they really believe it in their heart and they know it. If they've only they practice one time a week, how long does it take? Because you got this is this is what this whole idea is about. Is sometimes we're just. Throw in new songs in, in the mix, and people are like, well, I'd love to sing, but I don't know it. You know. And then there, there are a lot of ways how to teach people new music, that kind of thing. So about every, before I came to Statesboro, here's what I do. And I'd encourage you, after you read the song source, it may help you. Every year, I basically come up with a what I call a congregational song list. And I do not deviate from that all year long. I say, this is, I do 50 songs. And I usually do it in, in December. And I look at it and I say, okay, what songs from this past year need to go over to my new year? How many new songs can my congregation learn? I personally believe that you can't even learn one a month, okay? That's, I, I think one, I think maybe six songs is about all a congregation can really learn. Unless you can, you, I mean, and, and you got to do them. I mean, you got to do them. You know, so that's a lot of repeats. So I come up and I just say, okay, Lord, I pray through it. And I ask the Lord to show it to me. My pastor and I talk about it, but I just come up with this is. I, I make a list. I say, okay, these are our fifty songs we're going to learn, or and, and not learn. These are fifty songs we're going to sing. Most of them are things that have been on there, and and it's very difficult because this book tell, talks about how. Songs kind of go off the list and how they come back on. Here's an example. I am personally not a fan of the song Days of Elijah. Okay, that's that I'm just telling you my this is my opinion. My church, it is their favorite song. Okay? Now I I don't understand exactly why certain songs are for certain churches other than that's just the way the Lord made us and something that we sing and I can promise you if you'll listen you know what your song, your church's favorite songs are because when they're engaged and when they're singing that's what they love and you as the leader should not rob them from what they love because you can't help people be different if you don't take them where they are and, and do that now listen First Baptist State is not really a happy clappy church. I don't know if y'all know this. We're pretty, you know, traditional in a sense. I mean, we're making some moves, but I mean, it. Basically, but as soon as we start Days of Elijah, they clap. I, I mean, I keep thinking they're going to stand in the pews one day and scare me to death. I mean, they're just because we're not really a clapping church. But but if I do Days of Elijah, these. are... I mean, everybody. Now now, why is that? What? Because that song to them has grab them from the heart. And it's something different than just singing words on a page. And and so, I'd like to have taken it off five years ago, but that song always drifts back to my one of my 50 because, you know why? Because my congregation loves it. And honestly, when we're planning worship, I hope you're not planning only stuff that you like. You know, because sometimes... What you like is not what everybody else likes. And so you have to think through that. Alright? That's just one idea. Alright, let's talk about loud and soft. Now this is always a fun one. Yes? People feel like they they can add something valuable. Did I forget? I forgot to put that. Something valuable. Meaning that they, they feel like there's value that they know this song. Okay? I mean, you start singing "Amazing Grace" in most congregations; they can sing that they, because they they jump on it. Because one, they know it, and they can they can do it. Now, let me while I'm here, just what are some ways that you can help your congregation know more songs? Okay, I think there are numerous ways. With all of the digital age, as fast as that puts music down, there's no reason that you can't give out titles. What we try to do is we print the titles of music all the time in like our bulletin, like here are three new songs you ought to listen to this week. Now listen, generally your congregation can get to a computer, an iPhone, an iPad, or something, to, down, to and, and all they've got to do is Google, you know, Another in the Fire. Now that, how many of y'all know that song, Another in the Fire? Okay, put it on your list and listen to it this week. Okay, that's a new song, brand new. It's going to be, it'll be, a, it's called Another in the Fire. And uh, it's it's a kind of a new worship song, but again, if I brought that in in here and started playing it, y'all would not be able to engage with me because you don't like I don't know that song. And and so that's my point is that how do we do? But but I'll give it to you, and you start listening to this week, and you like it, and then we sing it next Sunday. And I promise you, you will engage more because it's what familiar. We just that's just a, a truth. Uh, we. Um, Songs are just too easy to get a hold of now. If you'll just give somebody the title, they can Google it and YouTube it. I mean, they're just—they're everywhere. I mean, it's just very easy to, to get to. So you just say you give your congregation like three songs. A type, sometimes we'll put them in the bulletin. Say, here are three songs that are coming up in the next few months. Won't you download these and listen to them, or won't you? Yeah. So it's not just a week time like it's like. Oh they're... no 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 yes 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 yes. <laughs> I I we we I put them in there just kind of as I know. And I actually, what I do, when I pick my 50 songs, I actually publicize that and send it. And people can go to the website or my choir is aware of it. And I just put the titles out there and say, here's our song list for this year. And it's amazing. People have now said, I want that. And they go home and, you know, they'll download it or they'll YouTube it or they'll listen to it. And it it has really helped my congregation to engage better. Old and new alike. Because I, I, it is true that people sing what they know. It's very true. All right, loud and soft. All right, some songs just have energy, and energy is loud, okay? I don't know if you've been to a uh, high school football game or a college football game or professional football game recently, but if you haven't, or, it's very loud there. There's a lot of energy. People up, standing, clapping, shouting, screaming. There's a lot of energy, and honestly, energy just has volume to it. I mean, no matter what you. So, so sometimes, some songs just have to be. You know, I tell people all the time. My trumpet player in my orchestra can only play a high B flat at a certain decibel range. I mean, you can't ask him say, can "You play that at a whisper." You just, you know, you just can't. You know. And, and and so what we have to remember is some songs just have a certain amount of energy you know uh, this is uh, this has not happened here but I, at my last church we had about a hundred in the choir and I had two or three people say I just can't take it the choir just sings so loud it just overwhelms me I just can't take the choir being that loud I said well do you want me to ask someone to go home next week I mean a <laughs> I mean, hundred people if you don't know this a hundred people are always louder than 20. I mean, it's just true. It's just true. A hundred are always louder than 20. So the more people that that, that, that are engaged, sometimes, you know, that's just happen. Okay? All right? Number two, people need to hear and feel the rhythm of a song to engage. In my church... This is probably more true than your church. I told you, you know, they're not the really engaged, but it's amazing at the level of music at a certain volume that you can tell. They almost like, okay, I, I kind of feel what the beat is because they don't naturally just know where the beat is. So we kind of have to help them, you know, okay, here's the beat, everybody, you know, together, you know. And uh, so sometimes people just need to hear that and feel the rhythm of the song in order to engage. I also think it helps support and encourage non-singers to sing and not feel like they're being heard. There is a balance here of loud and soft. But if, if, all, if all you've got is just a little teeny piano part coming up and you want people to sing louder, if they can't hear the pitch and they don't feel the pitch, they, they're very <gasps> insecure now, most of you in this room, I would say, are probably musicians. And give us a chord and we could probably sing a cappella and be fine. But the, the natural congregant is not that way. You've got to give them enough volume support that they feel like they can sing on pitch and that they're not singing a solo out in the congregation by themselves. So you, so, so you have to do that. All right, soft. It encourages time to think and respond to the lyrics. If all you do in your service are loud songs, then basically all you have is a hype of energy. There's never a time to contemplate what what, what happened there. Um, in, in my congregation, one of the greatest things that I think happens is we, we let's say we'll have the instrument instrumentalist kind of play strongly, and then maybe on the last chorus, we just have them fall out and sing a cappella and let just people in the congregation sing. And I'm telling you, it's a a glorious moment. But if you start out a cappella, you'll be singing a solo on the stage by yourself because nobody, they don't know where. that's that contrast of giving support and then letting them hear their voices. Soft, it gives way to create less distractions, meaning that sometimes when you got a lot of energy and things going on, there's a lot of things can happen but when it's soft and, and people kind of, they're not nearly as distracted and I also think, the third one it allows you to experience all that is around you if you're not giving your congregation a chance to sing to each other you do know that the Bible says that their singing is a testimony to the people around them and our, I tell my congregation all the time. Y'all know we showed up this morning, and we're fi- and we're, we're we're fixing to. What's that? Get the reference for that one. Uh, um, I, I can find it for you. I don't have it in my notes right here. I, I, it's, it's in there. Uh, in um, when 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 my congregation shows up, I said we all came together today and. I mean, you didn't show up to watch me on stage. I mean, if you don't want that, we, let's come up here. We'll go. all go to Savannah on a Friday night. And I'll get to go be. Man, we, we're we not a concert here. Church is not to be for you to sit in the, in the, in the pew and watch me. This is for all of us to, to join in together. And so I always talk about, I want you to engage into this. I want you to sing. And so... Sometimes it's just good to have the voices to just sing that. Yeah. Is it the Ephesians five by right? ten? Yes. Take to yourself, the, songs, and the that song That song. That's right. Thank you. But but we, you have to have moments of what I call loud and soft, and I, I there may be better terms for that. That's what I think of when I'm trying to think about, because sometimes things just honestly. I mean, I'm a I'm a Tenor singer, and you know, people want to hear this high tenor voice, and then but they want me to sing it at a you know, like squeaky teen I mean, Some energy it just has certain volume, and you can't. It's why cheerleaders are loud. I mean, you don't want them to be soft, they just have energy, you know, that kind of thing. All right, old and new. The old creates a connection to the older generations. There are musical songs that have meant something for years and years and years. I I think one of those is the old rugged cross. That's kind of one of those that's always on a playlist for some reason. It just... It's been around a long time. I kind of have this ministry about once a month. I go to local nursing facilities. And every time I go, I get asked, would you play the old Rugged Cross? So I know that there's some connection there. I don't really know exactly what it is. But it does have a connection to that generation. Some songs do that. And we shouldn't rob our older people of stuff that has that strong connection to them. Uh, We need to be careful of that. I put in here, some things are great no matter the age. Can I get amen? Amen. I mean, just some things are great stuff. I mean, there are just some things that are great songs uh, no matter how old they are. And I put in here, old feels comforting to us. That's a lot like the familiar, okay, because something we know makes us feel like, okay, I can, all right, this this feels like, you know, that shirt I like to wear or those pair of shoes, you know, just, it, it is comforting to us to kind of know that. All right, what about new? New, it creates a freshness, and I believe it keeps people attentive. Because if all you do is stuff... If you never challenge your people to, to, to get, draw outside of their box, to learn something new, to be challenged up, up with something else, then you basically... What is that the, the definition of insanity? You, if you, doing you keep doing the same thing over and over, you always get the same results, you know? And, and honestly, I don't know if y'all know this, but our world is changing. We talked about that earlier. But our world's changing. And if you've got grandchildren, they're growing up differently than you grew up. And we can say we don't like it, we wish it was different, but the truth is the culture is just out there driving this big deal and we, we have to live in it, but there's some good stuff in that. We can't just say, oh, bad, 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 bad. You have to you know chew the chicken, spit out the bones kind of thing. But I think it does create a fresh... Alright, the new it allows for new melodies. Alright, I got a question for you. I heard this a few weeks ago. Why is it that the Bible, God, when he gave us the Bible, why is it he only gave us lyrics and not music? And the Psalms, Psalms are songs. Why is it He gave us the lyrics to the psalms, but He didn't give us the tune? You ever thought about it? I hadn't there either, but I heard this guy a few weeks ago say because he felt like that God wanted every generation to write a new tune to His lyric. Now think about that. That's a, that, that is a great thought. That God gave us lyrics because He wanted every generation to be a new song, a new song, a new melody, but He wanted us to use His lyrics. That the lyric doesn't change, but the the song style or the beat or the, the vocal part or the instrumentation will always be changing because He says sing a new song. But it's amazing, you know, you look at a lot of songs, they're based on the Bible and... The, the Word of God and that never changes but but why didn't God say you know what I want, on Psalm 100 I want you to be B-flat, C, E-flat and give it He didn't do that because He said here's a lyric and I haven't done this because I've just kind of been processing this but one thing I, I, I may do this this may be my goal in 2020 but I want to see how many versions of a certain lyric I can find that maybe were sung hundreds of years ago maybe and, and then how it has processed through one that I come up with is kind of like Amazing Grace. You know, My Chains Are Gone is kind of a new tune to an old lyric. You know, And but thinking about how the different generations have processed things because I think that's a way that God said, okay, here's the lyric but you create the melody, you create the tune. And I think the new is a way to stretch us and get us out of ruts. Now, I think this is one of the... You do know that the easiest way in planning your worship and th- planning music for your worship is just to do the same thing every week and just plug in numbers. 328, 236, and 428, something on like yeah. So you, you have to get out of that. Now, now, let's talk about this for just a minute. What are some ways to find fresh music. What are some things that... Some things that I do... I'm a, I'm a kind of a music... Uh, you, you were talking, I know a little bit about everything. That's kind of how I am. I mean, I just kind of listen to things. When I'm finding new music, here, here's kind of my, my what I do. I want to make sure that the lyric of the music is is biblical, okay? I don't know how else to say it. I, I just wanna make sure that the music that I'm teaching my congregation is biblical. I kinda have a, a personal opinion that if a song you sing in church could be about your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's probably not appropriate for church. And there are some great worship songs but I'm thinking, okay, now who's that about? You know? You know, I love you and you were there when I needed you and you'll always be with me and take me with you forever. Well, yeah, but that could be about my wife. I mean, I, you know, so you have to be very careful. And you do know that some songs that are appropriate for radio are not really the best songs for church. You do know that, don't you? Because I have that. I don't know if y'all have that, but all the time someone says, oh, I heard this song on the radio. I wish we could do it. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, some songs just don't lend themselves to a congregational worship service, I think. Um, but f- listening to songs that are biblical, um, I talk to people all the time. Just say, "Well, what, what are you doing? Tell me some songs you're doing in your church. What are you doing in your church? You know, I'm all the time. I mean, we have resources at our fingertips that are just everywhere. Um, let me give you a couple of resources if you don't know about these. Um there's a a website called lifewayworship.com and you can search in there like the latest top 100 songs. And that's an easy way to find what's fresh right now. There's another site called uh, praisecharts.com and I look at it all the time and say, okay, I mean, you can search thousands of ways, but I usually look at, okay, it says what's hot. I think, okay, let me see what's hot. and, And you can listen to samples some of it, I'm thinking, no, that's not, you know. But I, <laughs> but anyway, I try to, I try not to, to to make a decision instantly. Although, as we as musicians, kind of know in about ten measures whether we think that would be, you know, you know your congregation. So find things, search for things, find new things, listen to new things, stretch and rest, stretch. Push in different ways and try new things. My challenge to you is don't ever be afraid to try something new or to try something fresh. Let me tell you how I... If if I have a new song that I think is really good for my church, a lot of times... I'll have somebody sing that as a solo. It may be at the opening of the service, it could be during the altar, but just a new song that I think is going to be. Then I teach it to my choir. And I have my choir sing it one Sunday as maybe a special, and then the next Sunday I may have them sing it as like a call to worship and opener maybe with the soloist who sang it the week before. And usually at that point I say, I want congregation, y'all listen to this song carefully because this song is coming back next week and I want y'all to sing it with us and this is the title and you can download it this week and listen to it, but we're going to be singing it this week. And and that's kind of how I try to introduce. I hardly ever just try to come into to the congregation with a brand new song. Now listen, that goes for hymns as well. I don't think it's great to just come in and pull out a hymn that nobody's ever heard and said, okay, let's all sing this together because they'll be like, what is that? You know, I mean it's not, doesn't have anything to do, it, it comes back to that familiar. Get outside your box. What I mean by that is <laughs> find something that's not your norm. I, I gave you the title of a new song called Another in the Fire. Some of you in here are gonna listen to about ten bars of that and think, I wouldn't do that in my church for nothing. But but, but listen to the whole song and, and figure out. You know, take it for what it is and get outside of just listening to things or just this. sometimes I try to listen to, to artists that I don't listen I kind of have my top 10 that I always listen to but I try to pick some that are different just say okay what's going on who, who did that song Maybe I ought to listen to them you know get out and tell your box and I love this next says elastic that is stretched never returns to its original shape again now I don't I won't tell you how I know that but elastic and I, and I talk about this from the standpoint of our worship. Sometimes you really need to just push on that elastic of your church worship service and stretch out a little bit. And, and even at the risk of somebody coming up and saying, you know what, I, Erica, I don't know who picked that song. I don't like it. That's, you know, I, That was too loud. You know, I didn't like how you did that. I, because, listen, that's just part of it. But, but stretch out there as the leader and stretch that out. Because in just a minute, on the next side, uh, about the rest, and I'll show you this. But, but anyway, okay, on rest, find your church's song and sing, okay? My church's song is Days of Elijah. I know it, and um, there are just some songs that your church loves to sing, and you need to put those on the list, and you need to use them, because if it encourages your people... And I'll tell you what I do. Now, this is funny, but I always put Days of Elijah right next to something that maybe is not the most familiar. Because they're into it, they clap at the end, and then we start, and they, they're there, and they're moving. So it helps to you know, do both and. That's what I talk about. Sure, push outside the box, but then just come back in this. Find your church song singing. I say it's okay to be comfortable. Sometimes it's really okay just to sing the old amazing grace, four stanzas, five stanzas, that your grandmama and great grandma sometimes it's honestly just good to sing it because I think our younger generation needs to know what that song was. They really need to know that. It's okay to just sing something that's comfortable. And then I'd also say that sometimes the rest allows you to recover. You need to push and you need to recover. I believe as leaders that we are responsible for what I call the rate of change, okay? You as the leader of your worship service are responsible for how much change can your church endure? How much pushing of the elastic can they endure? Because listen, i got friends, they go to a new church and they just push, 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 blow the balloon up, all that, and then before long, they got just a mess on their hands also got guys that go into a church never do anything new. They just sit back and before long, people are like, this is not any fun. This is not interesting. I'm not not interested in this anymore. And so it's contrast. It's stretching your people to try something that maybe they've never tried before and then coming back to something that feels good to, to be familiar. It's about singing the old rugged cross and teaching your church another in the fire. Or but there's numerous ones. It's just I'm, for some reason that song's on my heart today. For, I can't, can't get away from it. There are times in your worship service that you need to have loud energy, and there are also times where you need to have soft times. And you also need to remember that there there's just some things that are unfamiliar. And how do we how do we help our people be familiar with the unfamiliar? And there's sometimes because people they sing what they know. I mean that's my big deal. I say that all the time and I think it's very true. So as we think through these contrasts and we think about all of the generations, because these all come under this umbrella of multi-gen, multi-gen I mean this is for every, every all these contrasts can be put in any age group because I could take a youth group who's young and find old and new for them I can find things that would stretch them and things that we need to let them rest unfamiliar and familiar loud and soft. Now they might like the loud more than they like the soft but at least understanding the both. So you've got all of that to be able to try to, to to create. So as you think through your planning of your worship these are just like four contrast, that I'm always contemplating as I think about trying to help my congregation to grow. I'm a really big um, champion for congregational singing. Okay, that's that's my it's my big thing. I, I feel like the Lord designed me for that, and so I think it's very important that we as the church never lose the fact that our church is really created for us all to sing together not for people to sit out in the pew and watch these performers on stage and i think many years ago we kind of got in this mantra and i've honestly to be honest with you i think there have been times where i've kind of gotten in that mode it's very easy as a performer to try to not do that but you just got to be constantly reminding yourself of how do we engage Everybody in the room, no matter what age they are, and how do you pull them along with you and how do you settle those that don't want to go with you i mean it's it, that's that's what that whole part about being a being a leader is is trying to help them kind of put all of this together now I want to end and then I want to take some questions but as i I thought through if I could tell you one thing today in this whole idea of worship planning and Planning for your service, um, I, I really thought hard. Long, I think this is what I I, I I would tell you today. The hardest part of anything that you have to do in a multi-gen or a or a or planning service is that I think we none of us have any problem doing the individual items. I believe. The hardest part that you need to work on is what I call transitional moments, okay? How do you go from the old rugged cross to living hope? And we 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 don't practice that enough in our churches. We practice the song and we stop the song and we don't we don't think about the connectivity of how You are to lead your people, and that you're just to lead them all the way through. And you can't lead them and then drop them, and then try to pick them back up and lead them and drop them. And you know, one of the struggles as a worship leader, worship pastor, is those times of how do I connect all of this together? I mean, that's really a struggle. of It's a struggle for me. And God gifted me in some ways that makes it sometimes easier for me. But that's a constant struggle because I think we as musicians and leaders, we practice the song and the song and the song and the song, but we never think about the connective tissue between the whole thing so that we don't lose the energy or the the, the moment. You know, there's nothing more than, you know, singing a great song and then just stopping and, and okay, now what are we doing next? You know, and, and... we, 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 You, I would say, constantly be aware of how do you move from component to component. And I, it doesn't matter what it is, okay? Sometimes it's song to song. Sometimes it's song to prayer. Sometimes it's prayer to offering. Sometimes it's offering to announcements. I mean, there's nobody despises announcements any more than I do, I feel like. But yet, if you'll work at it, it can be a connective moment and not feel like it's just segment, segment, segment. Because I think that's... In the churches that I go to and am a part of, I think the biggest struggle for us musically is the connective tissue between the elements of worship. We don't know how to navigate that. And it's because, I believe, we don't practice it. We don't rehearse it. And we don't think about what am I doing or what's happening in the connectivity of everything that moves from piece to piece. And I think if we could do that and just think through okay, how do we transition from these two? I mean, even from the standpoint of something that's, you know, I mean, does this key go to this key? Well, does this prayer end on an easy note that I don't just start with you know, some big note or big drum lead into right after prayer and scare everybody, you know, or, I mean, but we don't think about those things, but thinking about every element and then trying to think, how do those all connect out? To them. Okay? Alright, questions? Make any questions? Under stretch, the first one? Push in different ways and try new things. Push in different ways and try new <laughs> maybe your next session with your bachelor but in reference to what you were just talking about the you and know, Dr. Walter Shove a long time you know, working through those transitions or is that just kind of he and I meet every week just to talk about what that transition and what that aspect of how that programs look so that we don't get up there and look like we don't know what we're doing the, I think the biggest worship killer that we have and I've tried to get them to let me teach this class on worship killers but I didn't get I, you can see I didn't get that we had to talk about food but one of the biggest things about worship, worship killers is is that moment that you come across that you don't know what you're doing whether it's who's grabbing the mic or who's supposed to be there or you know, looking at you looking at me you know, is that me? No, that's not me. Or you know, and, and listen. As great a church as I serve, we struggle with. Let's say we get to the end, and it's a staff member going to pray, and if we don't talk through that, there have been many times where they're like, "It's yes, you." You know, and, and and you don't think about it, it's only for ten seconds, but that is the weirdest because people in the congregation, like they they they, they, they become. Nervous in that moment because it feels like it just wasn't smooth, and all it all it took was a conversation. And say, Phil, I'm going to end right here. When you, as soon as we start singing this last chorus, would you lock eyes with me so that when I look at you, you're ready to come to stage, and we just end. And, and 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 that's all it takes. But see, we don't have those conversations sometimes. But yeah, Dr. Waters and I do that. But but that is those are some of the things that that are really. You know, I think that I think just not being prepared, you know, feeling like you can just do it off the cuff. We think that people don't don't see that, but they really they they see that it's not put together. They sense that. You modulate between songs to to keep music playing. so There's no dead time. I do. Yes, I do a lot of that. And and honestly, I try to find songs very close to the same key so i don't have to do a lot of modulation sometimes Uh, i you guys don't don't know a lot i lead from the piano we're we're going to do a work my band's going to play in just a few minutes so you'll see a little bit of that on stage but i lead from the piano and god gave me a certain gift and and so i know my gift is i play by ear and i'm able to just kind of transition those things easier but we have to talk through those things with people because it's not anything difficult that I'm doing. You just have to talk through. Okay, what are we doing? How are we getting from B flat to C? I mean, what are we thinking about? How are we going to get to that? You know, how are we going to to do that? And I think sometimes in those transitions, how many of you are accompanists at your church? Piano players, anybody? Okay. Sometimes I would say, from the accompanist standpoint, is that we as accompanists sometimes want to play a melody line as a transition and melody lines are never good for transitions you want to what I call keep a musical pulse okay so so let's just say we get to the end of uh, uh Next song we go. Uh... And so if all of a sudden my said, you know, uh, you know, then I've got to actually wait on that and then I'm not sure. Are they at the end? Are they not at the end? So, but if we, you know, uh... Uh, saw chairs the i are... exchange. You can sing. A melody line into that, you're basically just saying, here's the key, and here's the tempo. But you do have to have an accompanist. You do have to have an accompanist, that's right. You do have to do that. Yes? Ron, I appreciate your comments on that transition. <laughs> a question on well, your song list, your 50 something mm-hmm. on any given Sunday morning and in- night, Okay, I do not do any songs that are not on that list. Okay, I normally in my services we do what we have gotten comfortable doing is what we call melodies of so- those songs, you know. So we'll do one or two together sometimes, or we may just do one, or but normally four, and I even include sometimes new songs like as invitation songs because. I'm up there singing those, and that's a great time to sing a, a newer song for the invitation, possibly, you know, if it's a, if it's appropriate. Um, but generally, four or five. That's per service. Y- yes, one yeah, and, and per service. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And and I also, I'm probably the king of repeat songs. Okay, almost probably to. Um, I'm trying to think of the word to say. I just I just believe in, in my heart that people... And see, here, Here's where I would go with this. Let's take a new song. I pick a new song. I start learning it. I play it, sing it, learn it. Then I'm going to teach it to maybe my solos. By that time, I probably played that song or sung that song at least 40 times. But then I get in church and I do it one time and it, it seems like old hat to me, but people like my dad are like, that's a great song, but... How many times do I have to do it before my dad can love it as much? I mean I practiced it 20 times. He's not going to practice it but only on Sunday. So you have got to what well, I get that in the rotation enough that it can get in the marrow of those of, of that person. And it just takes that's the reason I think you know out of my 50 songs, 10 of them are new. And sometimes I don't get to all 10 of those in a year. Do we ever sneak an extra one or two in there throughout the year? Or are you pretty firm? I'm really firm. I, I can't say I've never done that. And, and sometimes that's because a song I think comes to the heart of what our church is or something. And pastor says, you know, I wish we could do that. That song would be really good. And. I've, I sense that I don't want to be so rigid that I can't, that the Spirit can't move that. But but there is something about familiarity of that list that really has helped our congregation. We're doing a new song called Living Hope. I don't know if y'all don't do that song, you should do it. It's a great song. But we started it back right... After, it's a great Easter song, but I didn't do it for Easter. But it, we did it, and I just kind of I introduced it with a solo, then I had... We did it the next week with the choir, and then I told the congregation. And then I kept working. I did it three weeks in a row with the congregation. And I can sing it now, and it comes back like riding a bicycle. I'm like, okay, I know this one. So I think you have to give your congregation some time. And for us, we're thinking, oh, man, they're going to think I can't. I'm just sitting in my office pulling the same songs. And I I get that. But there is something about that they, they love what they know. How do you your men to sing? Um, I I think sometimes trying to find that one man who can sing, if it's a small congregation, and put him up and let him sing, and it, I, I'm kind of of this of the mindset that whatever it is that you're wanting or needing, a good something of that will attract others of that. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's my. You think key selection helps. Think? I think key selection is a huge help. We didn't even talk about keys. I mean, there I got a whole speech on congregational singing about keys and, you know, uh, you know how that works. Too much syncopation. You know, I mean, I, nobody loves Chris Tomlin any more than I do. But his stuff is just really too hard for congregation to sing as far as the keys that he originally does them in, unless you're an alto. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, I know. But, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes keys are very important not to overrun that. Any question? Okay. I have a question. Okay. Um, choir specials. Um, when you do your choir specials, do you put your words up on every song that you do? I do. So we... We put lyrics for everything that goes on in our service. Everything. We get complaints that we don't have this special on the yeah. Is there What the congregation tells us is that if they are part of hearing, it's hard for them to engage and, and actually tie that part of worship into their worship, and so they want to see the words and hear the words all together, um, and so that they can have that connect. And then, if you introduce it as a congregation a congregational song, then it pieces more the with them. Yeah, I, I, we put lyrics for everything up. Another question is, it kind of goes wrong with his. I see more and more people not singing in the congregation. Yeah. How do you encourage them without okay. <laughs> how do you encourage them- I, I think you've got to I, I would say my number one answer is you've gotta do enough stuff that they're from that they like. It, I'm telling you, people will sing what they like and that's just the truth. I, I've seen it over and over. I also think that sometimes we have to give a very strong musical foundation so that guys, because men do not like to hear themselves sing. And that's one, obviously my biggest complaint, and there'll be some of y'all probably after this next service say, yeah, you're right, is we, we run our volume level at a, I mean, right at the peak of now, not destroying hearing by any stretch. We monitor everything, but we run it probably much stronger than the normal church. But some of that's because I think that creates an atmosphere that people can sing out loud and not feel like they're singing a solo, and so I think you have to battle some of that. Well, it's too too loud in here. Well, if you'll sing, you know, I, you know, and it, so some of that is, is is that, but you you've got to do familiar stuff. And, and I would I would really challenge you to do a song list for, for next year, and 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 tell your congregation, here's, I mean, try it for six months. So you know what? For the next six months, here are twelve songs. You can look them up on YouTube. I want you to learn them. I want you to sing them and put them in there and teach them to the choir. And You'd be better off to teach your choir congregational music every week than trying to get them to do a great special. If if all they're doing is great specials, then you're, you haven't really engaged the congregation. My choir's going to sing in the morning at 9 o'clock. And we're going to do uh, uh, a song called... Uh, behold our God and it, it started as a choir special but my congregation loved it so much they now just instantly stand up and start singing even in the middle of the, of the choir song because we've done it so much it's just so familiar they just love that song so um so i think that's one of them give them a great support of of something they feel like they can sing and to encourage them to to want to wanna be a part of that and i i don't know if, if you're the song director i think you ought to say you know i say this every week, etc we've all gathered here today not for y'all to listen to me but we've gathered that all of you sing everybody's got a you know a voice and a song would you sing with us we want I invite you to join us and sing so, what about requests so since you have your song list that's probably put... yeah I don't take requests, <laughs> don't do requests. I, I had a request for Jesus take the will and I Made a family mad because I wouldn't do that in our service, and so, yeah. so I just said, you know, I, you know, and that that I, I'm more not that harsh. Yeah. And that gives them a chance. I would say I would never. I would say I'd never do that. I do a, sometimes a fifth Sunday sing, sometimes where we just open up and say, "What, what do y'all want to sing?" You know, we can do that. But generally. It's from the hill. That's right. From yeah, that's right. That's right. that's right. that's right. That's right. That's right. You had one person in the congregation that the that You don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I always tell them, if you, if you pick something, I don't know you, got to come lead it. You <laughs> know. Well, we're pretty comfortable with that because if we look at it, end, it's just something that we just really can't do. We just like, Sorry, we'll yeah, have to work. exactly. That's right. That's time. right. That's right. Yeah, Phil. I to go back to the lady's question. Um, I think one of the things that discourages me when I'm in a, in a place that you know, I want to sing, but I, I don't know the music real well. Uh, but there's a praise team that's, that's leading, it's not melody dominant, and I can't decide, since I don't have a score, I can't decide what is the melody. That discourages me from yeah, they will, people want to know what the melody line is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's I, We have a audio problem. mixing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a whole nother structure. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole nother lecture. That because sometimes we have somebody that comes up and does like praise music with guitar, but I can't figure out the melody. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can easily learn the song, but I need. You need the melody. No, I agree with that. I, I think you know, and there's some guys that so you know, or they'll try to do what we call vocal ease, where you know they're just singing all this. T- I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the best for, for congregational singing. Anything else? Well, thank y'all. Um, yes, ma'am. We are just about. There are a lot of things out there these days for that. This LifeWay worship that I told you about a while ago has recordings of every, even traditional hymns that you could easily use. Easy to use. Um, y'all, I don't know if they put it into them, but my name is spelled... I, if y'all looked on the program, there was some website against this class. I have no idea who that was or anything. Um, I think they were trying to... I do have a website. It's roncarter.com, and my name is spelled R-H-O-N. It's got my contact information on there, my email, my cell phone. Um, I put some of my favorite songs on there. Sometimes I'm not as good a, a blogger as I'd like to be, so I, I wish. But that's a great way to contact me with any questions or any way that I can help you. Um, I mean, if you honestly, if you you know, if you wanted to do a, a Thursday night, I can't do Wednesday nights so lot, But if you y'all live close enough, if you want to do like a Thursday or Saturday morning choir retreat, I'd love to come sit in with your choir and. Talk to them about their role as a choir leading and leading and sit down at the piano and just play and show them how important they could be. I'd be more than glad to do any of that stuff for you guys. Okay? All right, y'all have a great afternoon and we'll see you in the, in the worship center.